Thank you, Lord. Um, we won't turn there right this moment since they're receiving the offering, but turn to Haggai chapter 1, and we're going to continue kind of where we left off last week. Haggai chapter 1. Does anybody, can anybody remember what happened last Wednesday here? What, what was, huh? What did we teach on? Protection from the devourer, specifically speaking. What a timely thing. So we're going to talk some more about that tonight, kind of a part two. Uh, the name of our series on Wednesday right now is Protection in Dangerous Times. There is protection from bullets today, divine protection. There is protection from bombs. There is protection from accidents. There is protection from plane wrecks. And there's also protection from the devourer trying to devour our things and our stuff. Protection doesn't mean you'll never be attacked. Protection means when you are attacked, that stuff won't hit you or, or run its course in your life. It'll, it'll turn around as quickly as it came. And that's what we're all learning, including your pastor. We're all learning these things together. So turn to Haggai chapter 1. And if you don't know where Haggai is, I'd say go to the beginning of the New Testament and back up about, oh, what, 10 pages. And you'll be to Haggai probably. And let's look at verse 1. And I wanted to bring this out again because there are scriptures that talk about finances being attacked by the adversary. And when I say the adversary, I'm talking about the devil and demons. Do you know the devil does not want his, God's churches and God's people and Christians, he does not want them prospering. He is, he, I'm going to share some of these things in a minute and you'll understand more clearly what I'm saying. But did you know that everything in this earth God created, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the Bible says. God created it. The Bible says the cattle on a thousand hills are His, not a thousand cattle on the hill. The cattle on a thousand hills is His. The Bible says, God said in this very book that we're reading right here, He said, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, saith the Lord. I mean, God created all, and He created everything on this earth for His people. The interesting thing about it is the devil's got his grip on a lot of it, and his followers have control of a lot of it. And the reason they do is because when Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, he let the devil into the earth realm, and the devil became the god of this world. Small g. Jesus talk, called him the prince of this world's coming, but he has nothing in me. The Bible talks about rulers of the darkness of this world. How did Satan become a ruler of the darkness of this world? How did he become what Paul called the God of this world? Adam pretty much committed high treason in the Garden of Eden and let the devil into this earth realm. And now the devil has a right to be here because man led him here. His lease is about up. He will be kicked out very soon, but his lease ain't up yet, and we have to resist him. We have to know his schemes, his operations, quote scriptures against him if we don't want him messing with us and harassing us and our loved ones. And a lot of times in this area of finances, Satan has had control on a lot of the gold and silver and the finances in this earth realm, and he just doesn't want to let it go real easy at times, but he has to. If we use our faith, use our authority, use the name of Jesus, believe God, operate in the you know, principles of sowing and reaping, there's nothing the devil can do because the angels and God himself will see to it that what we're believing for comes into our life. Yeah. 
whether the devil wants it to or not. But the Bible talks about our stance against the devil, and if we don't take that stance, God can't do anything about it because he's told us in the New Testament to do something about the devil and demons. Jesus has done all he's going to do about the devil. He defeated him. He spoiled principalities and powers. He loosened his works. He dissolved his abilities. But he's still around deceiving people and getting some leeway in people's lives because of ignorance primarily of not knowing how to keep him out. It's interesting, but Jesus said, in my name, believers shall cast out devils, take authority over the devil. He didn't, God, Jesus didn't say, I'll do it for you. He said, I, I've given believers that authority in my name. Peter said, resist the devil, you believer, steadfast in the faith. That's not getting God to do something about it. We're supposed to do something about it. James said, submit yourself therefore to God, believer. You resist the devil and he will flee from you. How many know you can't get God to do something he told you to do? You'd be, be praying a long time if you're asking God to do something he told you to do. When you're a baby Christian, little different. God's going to do some things for you like we do for babies in the natural. But then there's a time he expects us to grow up. I remember the season when the Lord told me, all right, son, I've been carrying you for long enough. You're going to have to start resisting the devil for yourself now. You're going to still have to start walking on your spiritual feet for yourself now. I'm not going to carry you all the time through this. You're going to have to start growing up and using your authority and being a son of God, not just a baby of, a baby of God, <laughs> right? As newborn babies desire the milk of the word. So we, can, we found out last week real intensely that finances can be attacked. And just being a Christian doesn't mean your finances or your life is protected. If, that, if just being a Christian, if just being saved meant we automatically walk in divine protection, then what happens to all these people whose lives were cut short, gotten terrible accidents, gotten terrible crises? They were children of God. And if just being a child of God automatically, automatically meant divine protection, then none of these people, including ourselves, never would have had to gone through certain stuff if it was just all automatic and all up to God. Just because we're not living in what God says belongs to us doesn't mean He doesn't want us to have it. God wants us to have a lot more than we've been appropriating, that we've been partaking of. And that's one of the reasons this church is here, to help us to partake of what the Lord shed His blood to provide. Some of these things do not fall on us like ripe cherries off of a tree. They're not handed to us on a silver platter. Some of these things you have to contend for. Some of these things you have to appropriate and partake of in the midst of an unbelieving world and a bunch of demons that want, don't want you partaking. But you know what you do? Just cut through it all anyway and take it anyway. Because, see, we're, we're not... Here's the thing. We have authority over the devil, one devil many demons. We have authority over the devil and all demons in the name of Jesus. And we need to be using that authority. Did you ever think about it? Why would the Lord give us his name and give us authority if we never needed to use it against the adversary? Resisting the devil is not a super popular message in a lot of churches today, but it's super popular in the Bible. Well, it might scare some, some givers off or it might scare some people out. Well, I think we need to do what Billy Graham said. It's time to quit being so tippy-toe and worried about being offending people, but we're not at all worried about offending God and what he said in his word. Well, we don't want to rock the boat and offend people. What about offending God? 
Does that ever come across our list? What about God? That's important. So look at Haggai chapter 1, and let's talk some more about protection from the devourer. Whether he's trying to devour your health, whether he's trying to devour your marriage, whether he's trying to devour your children, whether he's trying to devour your finances, your business. Listen to these things, and let's get some revelation tonight. Haggai 1. These people, they were people of God. They were doing some religious things, you know, but they had a certain problem in their life that was causing the enemy to mess with their finances. Haggai chapter 1. You all had time to get there, I take it? <laughs> Look at verse 5. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much, planted a lot of seed, but you're bringing in a little. Now that's just not right. If you sow much, you should be bringing in a multiplied harvest, right? You have, you eat, but you don't have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but there's none warm. And he that earns wages, earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. What is that called? Somebody tell me, what is that called? Last week we got a revelation. That's called not fun. And it's also called something's messing with our finances. We talked about last week that prosperity is not just about getting blessings from the Lord. It's also about living in protection so those blessings aren't devoured. So there's not holes in the bag. So the locust isn't consuming it. So demon powers are not robbing us. The enemy is deathly afraid of us prospering. Because he knows the more wealthy we are individually as believers and as a church, the more people we're going to pull from the fire. Because we're going to have more means to print books, hire staff, do outreaches, help people, support missionaries, print Bibles, support the Gideons. I mean, all these things. We can do more. Do you realize that if we could, do, if we could print more, be on more uh, airwaves, if we could send more people to mission, do you realize that that translates into more money, more people not going to hell? No wonder the devil fights this message, but he can't win. We always win in Christ. If we don't take the worry losing route, we get on the worry losing road. That's not God saying, I, I, I'm not going to help you. That's us getting on the wrong road. And a lot of this has to do with maintaining an attitude of faith that I'm redeemed from the curse of lack. I'm set free from the curse of poverty. I'm set free from not having enough. Sometimes you just have to open your mouth and speak. I am redeemed from this stuff trying to steal my stuff and stuff breaking down early and clothes wearing out prematurely and buying lemons. Now, in the area of buying lemons, you know, buying a car that looks great on the outside, but find out later you got a lemon. A lot of that could be avoided by being a little more sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit because he knows where the lemons are. And if you have any kind of an uneasiness or check in your spirit about anything you're about to purchase, I don't care if it's shiny red with a silver bow and it's sparkling like you've never seen. If you've got a check about it, leave it alone. At least go sleep on it for 24 hours and maybe look around for uh, something you don't have an uneasiness about on the inside of your spirit. 
That's the Holy Spirit trying to get people's attention a lot of time, but they're so caught up with the outward, they miss that. They buy it. Two weeks later, it breaks down. They go, why, 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 Lord, why, 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 Lord, why? He's going to say, well, if you just would have been a little more sensitive, you would have known not to buy that one. But in some of these other areas, we just need to open our mouth and say, this bad thing trying to happen to me, I say no to you. Turn around and get out. Christ has redeemed me from these bad things happening by being made a curse for me. He didn't do that for nothing. I'm accepting what he did for me. The Bible says, cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. Jesus was cursed so we could not be cursed and be blessed. But you have to appropriate that scripture. You can't just know it. You can't just think it. You got to use it. Get used to saying, Christ has redeemed me from bad things happening. So if, or I should say, when something bad tries to happen to you, it doesn't have to run its four-month course in your life. It could turn around in a couple hours or a couple days and leave your life. Yeah. A lot of the stuff that people think they have, they don't have it. It's just being strongly presented to them. But if you think you have it and you believe you have it, you start talking like it's yours, telling everybody else it's yours, you're now accepting something the enemy's presenting to you that you should have said, Christ has redeemed me from this thing. Get away from me. Yeah. It's called appropriating your rights as a believer in Christ Jesus. So these people are obviously in trouble. They, they sowed much. They reaped little. Uh, the devourer was devouring them. And God gives them an amazing answer. And it's actually in connection. And I'm not going to go a lot in this tonight. I think we're going to go a different direction. But it's a very much in connection with Malachi 3 where God says, well, let's read Malachi 3. Keep this in mind. Go to Malachi 3. Turn a couple pages to the right. Haggai, Zechariah, and then Malachi. Turn to Malachi 3. And what we just read, if you were here last week, it's not the only passage of Scripture in the Bible that talks about finances being under attack of the devil. So how does that happen? I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but he, he has people. He, he has people he works through just like God has people he works through. Did you know that? And sometimes... You just have to believe God for some divine intervention because of the evil spirits that are working against you, maybe through others or through situations. And sometimes you just have to be aware of that and say, no, 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 no. You're not doing that to me. Now, the devil will be right there saying, oh, do you know why all these financial problems are coming your way? Do you know why you can never get ahead? Do you know why you're headed for bankruptcy? Do you know why you're so stressed? Do you know why everything's not working? You don't know why? The devil says, you know why? Because you sinned. We don't need to have another scripture to slap the devil with when he tells you that. Sometimes you have to deal with condemnation and the devourer trying to devour your stuff all at the same time. You've got a sword in this hand, a sword in this hand. you just got to speak scriptures to everything that's, that's going wrong. No, listen. He forgives all our iniquities. He heals all our diseases. He redeems our life from destruction. He crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercies. He satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. And the devil will try to tell you, say, well, you just might as well put your sword down because, you know, you sinned and you deserve this. You better know the scriptures well enough to know that's a lie of the devil. There's no sin that you've committed that can't be cleansed by the blood of Jesus if you'll just say, Lord, I blew it. Thank you for your blood. Get up. Go on. Repent. You know, with the Lord's help, determine to not go that direction again. And you can bounce right back in the race. Right. Just lay that thing aside and get right back in the run. Yeah. 
to running the race. So, so turn to Malachi 3. You're already there. In verse 10, God said that these people's way out of some of the things that were happening to their lives, I don't know if God, if, if you're in trouble, God wants you out. Right? I was actually uh, talking with some people recently about this, about a lot of times God's answer to prayer is go to church. Now, we just mentioned help comes from the sanctuary. We found out in the scriptures that local churches are, the Bible says the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. No wonder the devil puts pressure on people to not go to church. He wants his chains and gates staying in their lives. He doesn't want them broken. Um, but a lot of times, you know, the Lord will answer prayer. He'll say, he'll talk to you about, you know, doing something, not just kicking back and saying, que sarah, sarah, whatever the Lord wants. Is, no. He'll deal with you about doing something. I know a lot of people, God, they're asking the Lord for help, but they're ignoring his direction as an answer to their prayer. They just want, I guess, a magical answer or something like, oh, just magically heal me, Jesus. Don't ask me to do anything, though. Let me keep staying my own life. Let me keep doing what I want to do. Just please heal me, Lord. Well, in his great mercy, sometimes he does, but if you want to stay free and you don't want to get in the same mess again, you're going to also have to listen to his direction, not just receive his blessing. I know when I first got saved, I was involved in just strange, just drugs and rock and roll scene and a lot of partying, you know, watching things I shouldn't watch and just hanging around people I shouldn't be around. And I mean, it just got really bad. And, and I cried out to the Lord and he saved me. But then I fell back and it was worse. Dude did worse drugs, ended up in the hospital, almost died. Cried out to the Lord. Guess what? He saved me. Third time. Heavily attacked, strong, because I slipped back again. And I cried out to the Lord, and He did not immediately save me. I had to grow up. I had to stop hanging around certain people. I had to stop looking at certain things and listening to certain things. I had to stop hanging around certain people. had to change my entire lifestyle. The Lord said, if you want to stay free, how many think staying free is fun? Getting free is pretty cool. But staying free is even better. And I knew if I was going to stay free and not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage, I was going to have to change some lifestyle habits. I did. Jesus was not just my Savior anymore. He is now my Lord. He's actually given me direction for my life, and I'm actually doing my best to listen. And now I'm missing a bunch of stuff I used to hit square on that I have to call out the Lord for salvation from. Well, in this area here, he's telling him, listen, guys, you need some adjustments in your lifestyle if you want to see some help. And so he said in verse 10, if you want to get free from some of these things, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat or provision in my house. And God said, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. In other words, if you tithe, prove me. If I will not open you the windows of heaven, that's figurative for a lot of good things coming your way. And pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. That means you got more than enough and you are looking for somebody to be a blessing to. Right? Now, will, will, this, will, will these kind of things ever be challenged? <laughs> they will because they're powerful. They're strong. They're full of freedom. 
The enemy does not want certain things being a part of our lifestyle. Tithing is one of them. And it's, it's for more than one reason, too. Number one, he does not want the work of God strong in the earth. And he does not want people falling under the blessings that he talks about in these next two verses. So he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, and I'll open you the windows of heaven, pour you out a blessing that there shall not be enough room to receive it. Does that sound good to anybody? Yeah. Say, I want that. <laughs> and then he says in verse 11 to those that, that take him serious about this, tithing, he says, I will rebuke the devourer. This is God, the Father, who's greater than all, creator of the universe, saying, if the devourer tries to come against you that are you know, operating on these things, tithing, by faith, not because of law, by faith, if you're operating these things, I will personally rebuke the devourer for your sakes. Now, he tells us to rebuke and resist some things, but he said, I'll, I'll personally do it in this area. He said, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sake. Now, why would the Lord say, I'll rebuke the devourer if the devourer never came against us? Do you know the devourer could come against you while you're in the perfect will of God doing everything the Lord wants you to do? But the devourer coming against you is different than the devourer devouring you. Do you understand that? Just because the devourer comes against you does not mean you have to go down and be devoured. Now, this is why we're teaching this, because when these things happen, a, a lot of these tests and trials in our lives, they last as long as we allow them to. And one of the reasons they last so long is because believers haven't been taught how to say, stop it, devil. I'm a tither. I believe God. I'm redeemed. Quote the scriptures that come to you at the moment and say, you can't do this to me. Turn around and get out of here. Now a four-month hellish test turns into two little weeks or two little days. Depending on some things, two little hours. But the devil is a persistent cuss. You and I just need to be more persistent in our faith against his attacks than he is trying to devour us. And you can be because he's a defeated foe and you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. The devil is no match for you in Christ. And you are no match for him out of Christ. <laughs> Did you hear that? So he said, I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Talking about your businesses. Will the devil attack your business? Will he try to bring all kinds of crazy things to pass? He will. I don't know how he does it, but he, he even has some access to the weather. Don't ask me how he does it. It's just somehow being the God of this world and the prince of the power of the air, the Bible calls him. Somehow, I remember one time Jesus told the disciples, uh, let's, let's launch out and go to the other side of the lake. And he fell asleep on the pillow. And all of a sudden there rose a great storm and they were in jeopardy and the water was filling the boats and they're about to die. And they woke the Lord up and said, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care? Dumb question. Don't you care? Don't, don't ever ask. Don't ever tell the Lord. Don't you care? Dumb question. Don't you care, Lord? We're perishing. He woke up and he stood up in that boat, waves and wind flying everywhere. And the Bible says, quote, he rebuked the waves and the wind. Now, wait a minute. Jesus rebuked? You know, rebuke means to chide, command. 
It said, He rebuked the winds and the waves, and there was a great calm. And immediately they were to the other side of the lake. Would Jesus rebuke an act of God? Jesus is God manifested in the flesh. Jesus, I submit unto you, any insurance policy <laughs> that says we protect you for this and for that, but if it's an act of God, you know, like a tornado or a hurricane, I submit unto you, that is so wrong to, to blame God for those destructive storms. Jesus rebuked those kind of storms, and he's not rebuking God because he's the Son of God. Those storms did not come from God. Destructive storms do not come from our Father. Sometimes they need rebuked because they're out of hand. And some evil influence have got in there. So I, we've rebuked storms at times. I remember being on airplanes having to rebuke storms and turbulence. I mean, you just, we learned a long time ago that we have, we have authority over these forces and elements in the name of Jesus. Not in our own power, in the name of the Lord. We can stop some of these things and speak peace, be still, and things will happen. Anybody else ever done that? We've done it a few times and seen great results. Say, so what do you mean you're talking to a storm? That's weird. Hey, it's weird not to. You're a child of God, the offspring of God. Jesus created everything. You can change some of these things that the enemy's got a hold of in this fallen world. People say, oh, it's strange to curse a growth on your body and believe that it's going to die and leave. I'll tell you what, it's strange not to do it and to accept it all the while being a child of God with power and authority and a loving Heavenly Father who's invested in you everything you need to deal with that stuff. Well, it's strange to speak to a cancer in your body and command it to die. It's strange not to do it, child of God, mm -hmm. offspring of God. It's strange not to do it. Right. See, the world's backwards. The Bible's right on. Right. And the Bible talks about these things. So look on, read, read on here, read verse 11 again. I'll rebuke the devourer for your sakes. He'll not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field. That's talking about miscarriages, says the Lord in the, in the agriculture area, but it can go in any area. And all nations shall call you blessed. Who? Those that have decided to obey the Lord in tithing. And he, you shall be a delightsome land, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I'm not going to go into it all now. I'd encourage you to go on. And if you're needing more of this, go to last week's message. It's all free on the Internet. Download it, listen to it, stream it, whatever. Because we really got into the area of tithing and how tithing today is different than how they tithe under the law. We tithe like Abraham did before there was any law. We tithe by faith. We tithe because we want to support the work of God in the earth. We tithe because we love. We don't even need any scriptures like Abraham didn't need any scriptures. It's right. It's holy. It's good. It's wonderful. It's powerful. And there's a lot of really cool blessings that come with it if you do it by faith, not by legalism. God wants us wanting to do these things, not having to do these things. All right, so let's do this now. Go with me to John 16. This will be a little interesting scripture to go to. Actually, before you go there, go to James 4. And then we'll go to John. Go to James 4. <clears throat> now, I want to say a couple things here that might be a little strong. You say, what? <laughs> I think you already said some strong things, Pastor. How strong can you get? Well, it's Wednesday. It's midweek meat, right? The meat of the word. We get the meat tonight. <clears throat> um. I have purposed in my heart, just a little side nugget here, a little side journey. I have purposed in my heart, ever since I started pastoring, to preach and to teach freely what I believe 
with all my heart. And I'm not saying I've been perfect in 33 years, but I'm saying my heart is to preach and to teach every time I'm up here what the Lord wants me to say, whether it's popular or not. And I know there's been times I've said things, probably not in the perfect way, but I also know there's times I've said things exactly the way the Lord prompted me to, and it hasn't made everybody happy. <laughs> you know, a lot of what's really, really powerful is very, very unpopular with people. And, but if I, I realize if I really want to help people, I got to not be concerned about, you know, pleasing people, but pleasing the Lord. And sometimes, sometimes you go to church and you go, man, woohoo! Other times you leave going, I don't want to say anything. I just want to go home and fall across the bed and repent. <laughs> I, just want to, I just want to fall across the bed and repent and say, Lord, help me. And I mean, both those services are perfect for our spiritual development. We need them both. There's times we need to hear things we don't want to hear. And there's times we need to hear things we really want to hear. You need them both. You can't, you can't live on dessert and sugar only, physically or spiritually. So in John 16, 33, this, is, this scripture here actually saved my life, literally, when I, after I got saved, because I had a lot of demons that were still dogging my tracks. Uh, I had blown brain cells I had to believe for restoration of. Um, and just flashbacks of crazy acid trips. And I had to really believe God for some things. And this is one of the scriptures that really, really gave me comfort. <laughs> you ready? John 16? James oh, James 4. That's right, James 4. <laughs> <laughs> James 4 in verse 7. Shall we read it together, church? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, you is the understood subject of this verse. You submit yourself to God. You resist the devil. And he, the devil, will flee from you. One of the greatest definitions I heard for the word flee is to run away in stark terror. Resist the devil and he will run away from you in stark terror. But remember, remember, Submit yourself, therefore, to God comes first. Right? Following the Lord. Making sure you're following His will. Not living in known disobedience. You know, day after day, not caring. Slip and trip and falling. That's one thing. But, but saying, God, I don't care what you said. I'm going to live this way anyway. You don't want to be living that way. If you do, repent immediately. And get back in your race. But this scripture here says, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, we just saw a couple scriptures that show that the devil will try to attack people's finances. Well, instead of just praying to God for help, we might want to consider saying, Devil, take your hands off my stuff. Stop it. Now, he didn't say get God to do this. He didn't say even get your pastor to do this. 
right? And if you're growing in the Lord and, and you're walking with God and you've got problems at home in this area, you can rise up yourself. I have no, I have no more power than you. I may have some gifts and anointings and talents as a pastor and other offices that I'm called to stand in, but you have just as much authority in Christ to resist the devil as a prophet of God in the land or a pastor. You have just, and you're going to have to do this at times. Now, the devil is, the, is great at camouflaging all his attacks in natural things, so you just think it's a natural happening. He has a way of camouflaging and staying invisible and making you think, oh, that's just a natural thing I need to deal with. Oh, that's just a natural problem I need to deal with. There's times you're just going to have to put your foot down and say, devil, stop it. And the devil goes, well, I'm not doing anything. That's just a car. Just... How many other times where you just rebuke the devil away from your automobile? <laughs> if things are happening abnormally, we need to have the attitude, you know what? It is not right for the righteousness of God in Christ to have these things happen to me. It is not right in God's eyes, and it's not right in my eyes. You're, we've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I say we stand up for what he's redeemed us from and rebuke everything that tries to challenge it. His blood provided us great victory. I think we need to be a little bit bold about taking it into our lives. Say, I'm bold. Go, Rrr. Turn to your neighbor and go, Rrr. <laughs> Remember, if you ever, 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 ever have a message for the devil, put it on the bottom of your feet so he can see it. Because Jesus said, we shall tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt us. Anytime you're addressing the enemy, look down. Because really, positionally, we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. So and now, um, I'll just quote it to you. John 10.10 10 says, Jesus said, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Does the devil want to rip you off? Does he want to kill? Does he want to steal? Does he want to destroy? Yes, he does. And we just found out in James that we are authorized and deputized and told to do something about it. Did you know that if we don't do anything about the devil attacking us, God can't do anything? He said, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. It's earth's move. He's already moved in providing. It's our move in using what he's provided. Then it's his move to enforce it in case the devil's a little bit uh, persistent. And he has to go when we use the name of Jesus properly and don't, get, and don't back down in faith. So, so turn now to John 16. And this is that verse I, I thought we were going to go to at first. James 4, 7 saved my life too. But this one really did some great things for me when I got saved. In John 16, in verse 33, this is Jesus talking. And he's saying something here that a lot of us don't like to hear, but it ends really good. <laughs> he said, these things I have spoken unto you, that you, and he's talking about us there, that you might have peace. Now notice, in the world you shall have tribulation. And I didn't expect an amen, and that's okay. Nobody's believing for tribulation. Don't have to. It's going to come anyway. But it coming and it running its full course in your life is up to you. I mean, you, it, it can stop. You can, we can stop things. 
when they're presented to us. But most people, listen closely, most people are in the habit of, when something bad happens to them, they're in the habit of saying, oh my gosh, look what's happened to me. Oh my gosh, what should I do? Oh my gosh, this is terrible. What are they doing? They don't realize it, but they're opening the door to something the devil's just presenting to them. They feel the problem, they see the problem, they sense the problem, and they think it's 100% theirs at that moment. It's not. It's being presented. And your response of faith will determine how long that thing lasts in your life. A lot of times, if, if you just get in faith, things will turn around. But people are in the habit. They think, oh, I already feel it, so I guess I got it. Big mistake. Big mistake. You, you need to know how to respond when the enemy attacks. And he's going to attack, and it's going to be camouflaged in natural things. Let me just quote the scripture that backs that up. Jesus said, I give you power. Behold, church, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now listen, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. The devil works through means. And instead of just treating means, rebuke the source of it that's jumped in the means to try to make your life miserable. Means is stuff you can see. Means is natural, physical stuff these problems are coming through. And a lot of times, and I'm not saying there's a devil behind every little sniffle, I'm not saying that, but somewhere down the line, the enemy is trying to bring things into our lives that are hurtful, destructive, and he's trying to devour. And you have to, sometimes you just got to put your foot down. You know, treat the dumb symptom if you have to, whatever, medication. But put your foot down and get to the root of the problem. Say, devil, stop it. I rebuke this problem. Stop it in Jesus' name. Sometimes you have to be led by the Spirit. You just, you want to stay balanced in your Christian walk. But at the same time, there's so many believers that don't realize it. But the devil's having a heyday in their life. And it's because of this one truth right here. They're begging God for help in an area he told them to resist. Two prayers God cannot answer. Number one, asking God to do something he told you to do and he told me to do. Number two prayer God can answer is continuing asking God for something he already said belongs to you. And in that situation, you find out what it says and you praise God for it instead of begging God for something his blood already provided. So now this scripture here says, in the world you're going to have tribulation. Anybody ever done any tribulating? <laughs> Not fun. But you know what? If you respond properly to these times of tribulation, it'll only build character in you. It won't destroy you. You won't have a thousand scars. It's not, God's not sending it. But we live in a fallen world infested with demons. We live in a fallen world where there's a lot of weird things happening. And it takes some vigilance to not let any of the curse cling to us. You know, the curse of the law devouring of finances, disease, all these things. And sometimes you just got to realize, you know what, this tribulation that's coming to me, Jesus said it was coming. But he also said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. One of the coolest things that that means is this. Jesus overcame it. And if he overcame it, you can overcome it. He didn't say... Being a Christian means you're never going to have tribulation, never going to have any bad things presented to you. On the contrary, he said, you're going to have it in this world. 
Now, why be of good cheer? Because he overcame it all, and he's going to show you how to overcome it all. A lot of it's resting in his finished work, but there's also things you need to speak and believe if you want to see the end result that Jesus saw. He, how do we, we know he got ultimate victory? <laughs> He's alive forevermore, King of kings and Lord of lords. So, in closing, let me just say this, church. You're going to have stuff come against you. Our, the church has had some stuff come against it recently. And this is where some of these things come from, just personal experience. But we determined we're not going to allow the enemy to win ever. Ever. We're going to be led by the Spirit. We're going to speak the Scriptures. We're going to stay in joy. Now, here's something you need to realize. Sometimes, the, I, sometimes people, I just don't think people, including myself, I, I don't think we have fully realized the term, the trial of your faith. Exactly. I think some people think the trial of your faith is, oh, I'm a little uncomfortable. You know what, you, you know what Peter talks about the trying of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, that it might be found in the praise and glory and honor at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know what the trying of your faith is? It happens to everybody. It happened to Paul. It happens to everybody. You can be in the perfect will of God and in a severe trial at the very moment. You know, let me tell you what the trial of your faith is. The trial of your faith is when you have encountered a problem, a situation, tribulation, like you've never encountered before. And you barely have enough strength to say, the Lord is my helper. And your brain's going, do this, do that, you're going to fix this thing, you're going to go down, you're not going to be saved, he's going to crash, you're going to, it's over, you're going to die. <laughs> What's happening? You are barely on the outskirts of the trial of your faith. Let me tell you what the trial of your faith is. The trial of your faith is when you encounter the greatest, most horrific problem of your life. And you doing everything you've been taught in church, and it feels like and seems like it's not working, and it's getting worse. And then three more problems greater than that one jump on you. And you can hardly breathe. And all this stuff is coming at you from every angle. The dog, your best friend, the finances, this over here, that. And then you're thinking, that's it. I can't go any farther. And you start making terrible confessions. You say things you know you shouldn't say. You fall flat on your face. You spew out all this doubt. You prophesy all this terrible stuff. Now you're about in the middle of the trial of your faith. I'm saying, I don't know what people think. Tried with fire. That's like walking into a fire. Okay, Lord, I can use deliverance anytime now. You know what's happening? Something very precious if you don't quit. And, and people think, well, I just already made all those bad confessions and I just spewed out all that unbelief and I just prophesied all this terrible stuff and I just said things I can't even believe I said. You know what you need to do? You know, that doesn't mean you lost. That doesn't mean you lost. That means you fell down. And what happens when you fall down? You stay there, right? You just stay there and lay there and rot and never grow to your seventh birthday and you die. No, you get up. You get up and say, here, here's another scripture a lot of people don't have on their refrigerator. Romans 12, 1 through 5, uh, Romans 5, 1, 1 through 5. Let me just quote it to you. 
If you have it, Tina, you can put it up there. Romans chapter 5, I think it's verse 3 and 4. It says, Paul said, I glory in tribulation. See, he'd been there more than once, and he knew the outcome if he didn't give up. What happens if you blow it in the midst of a trial and you cuss? Or you prophesy doom, or you say, I'm going to die, or I want to die. Um, you say all this stupid stuff. What, what do you do at a time like that? Let me, tell you, let me tell you what Hebrews tells you to do. We'll read this in a second. Hebrews says, if that thing is tripping you up in the middle of your fight of faith, lay it aside and get right back in the race. None of this wobbling and, you know, I need five years of therapy and, oh, I'll get rid of these guilty feelings pretty soon. God does not want you doing that. If you find out you did something wrong, throw that thing aside and start running immediately. God says, get right back in the race. Fully on condemnation, fully on feeling bad, fully on guilt. Get right back in the race. Lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now he's set down at the right hand of majesty on high. Consider him who endured such great contradictions of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have to watch out about thinking, you know, what's the trial of your faith? It's, it's entering into a place of, of of tribulation you've never been before. And you're wondering why it hasn't stopped yet. What do you do? Well, you stand strong, you put a smile on your face, and you go bird watching. And you look at lilies. And you remind yourself, I got a father who feeds the bird. He doesn't even sow, he doesn't even reap, he doesn't toil, he doesn't do any of this stuff. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. How much more is He going to take care of you? It's interesting to think that watching birds and looking at flowers in the field is obedience to the Lord. Did you know you don't get out of worry by trying not to worry? You get out of worry by looking at something different than what you've been looking at that's making you worried. There's people all over the planet trying not to worry, and they're losing. You don't try not to worry. You get your mind on something that reminds you of how much God loves you. If he, I was driving out of the parking lot the other day because I was looking out my window, you know, looking for birds. <laughs> Carl and I talked about, we're going to go on a bird watching thing for one year. We're just going to go look for all these birds the whole year, if you'd let us. <laughs> Probably won't be for 20 years, but, but you can all go with us. We'll put one of those GoPro cameras. But so I'm driving out of the parking lot of the church here uh, two days ago. Or was it yesterday? I was listening to some of these things and, and praying about some of these things. And I see this big, fat raven or crow or something. It must have been a crow or something. They fly around here once in a while. So do eagles, though. And I mean, this guy was so stocky. I thought, he's not hungry. He's not, he's not lacking food. And that little bird there, God's designed this whole thing to take care of that bird. Its bird is like, has got no need. And I'm driving by and their Lord says, I love you so much more than I love birds. <laughs> he said, don't worry about a thing. Sometimes you just got to go bird watching and you got to look at the lilies of the field and remind yourself, man, if God clothed the lilies of the field more beautiful than Solomon in all his glory and he wants me looking better than the lilies, he wants me looking pretty good. Does God care about how we look on the outward? 
Well, he did in the Old Testament. I haven't seen that he's changed either. Okay, should I tell you one more scripture? Is that what I, did I tell you? Did we go there? Where's my notes? <laughs> I got lost in the spirit. Not lost in space. Um, I think we're good. Let's just stand up. Is that good, church? Don't always think you've done something wrong when tribulation comes against you. Don't always think you've done something wrong because problems are coming against you. Problems came against Jesus, and he didn't do anything wrong. There is a devil. There are demons. And sometimes you just got to say, hey, devil, you're messing with the wrong person. I am in Christ, redeemed by the blood, and I resist you in Jesus' name. And then don't go look into your feelings and see if it worked. Just go about your business for God, and you'll see one day that all that left you. Sometimes the devil's like a skunk. He ain't there, but his stench is still hanging around. And don't let that deceive you into thinking he's still there and open the door for it all to come back. Just say, no, that's just your stench, devil. I resisted you. You had to leave. From, you had to leave. Sometimes it's just a stand of faith. Did you read that? Did you read that? Paul said, I glory in tribulation. Because tribulation works patience. One translation says, tribulation works perseverance. And perseverance works experience. One translation says, character. And experience works hope. And hope does not disappoint us because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which has been given unto us. You see the, see the little thing there? Paul got to the point where he said, you know what? All that tribulation and trouble is, is an opportunity to develop in God, see God's powers show up, get another testimony, and make the devil look bad. It always reminds me of the scripture where it said, talking about evil rulers and evil powers. Paul said, had the princes of this world known, they would not have crucified the Lord Jesus, the Lord of glory. Because having known what they were doing, they were, they were sealing their own fate. <laughs> oh, let's stir up all these people to kill Jesus, not realizing the lamb had to be slain so we could all be free and the devil defeated forever. The devil thought he won, but had they known, they would not have crucified. Had the devil known, he never would have attacked you or me. Because every test becomes a testimony. Every mess he throws our way becomes a message of hope to the world around us. And all these people flock to Jesus because of our testimony. Yeah. Every lemon he throws our way, we just say, thank you, let's make some more lemonade. <laughs> he throws it real hard. We're like a Super Bowl. We just bounce higher. <laughs> right? Come on, if you do it right, if you're hearing the right teachings, you're going to respond correctly. And all this stuff's going to turn out to hope, experience, perseverance, better patience. And uh, testimony going somewhere to happen.